am from Jacksonville, Florida. My parents got divorced when I was 16. I lost the relationship with my mother. My dad was going through a lot too. It became a bit hostile and uh, before I even graduated high school, I was homeless. So I was 17, senior year of high school and had no hope. My life was survival. I ended up getting my first sales job and came into a successful amount of money where I was like, I need to get out of Florida. This is an option, I'm gonna risk it. I picked Chicago on a whim. I had no job, no friends, no family here. I just knew I needed to get out. I paid a company to pick out my apartment and the day after my 21st, I left. It only took me a couple weeks to get my first job. I got awards for climbing the corporate ladder so fast. I plan on giving it my all for the rest of the time here. I, want to I was a young, successful woman. My life in Chicago was, at that time, within my control, or so I thought. I was in a relationship. In my mind at the time, it was all internal dialogue, but now I look back and I believe maybe God was trying to speak to me. And the moment I sat down, I got the, the message, you might be pregnant. I came home, took the test. I remember seeing that it was positive. And at the time I'd reasoned with myself, well, I'd rather lose this thing I don't know than lose my life that I love. Any girl, I would imagine, telling their boyfriend they're pregnant hopes that there's that excitement. And when I sat down and told him, he walked out of the room and came back and said, well, we have an appointment for August 28th to go ahead and just get the abortion. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. But everyone in my life agreed, get the abortion. You love your life, you're successful. How stupid would that be to have a kid right now? I wanted someone to talk to me about my options. I had only heard one option. And to be honest, that option of an abortion made the most sense. How I found the Caring Network was in that desperation of needing someone to talk to. When I walked in, I remember they came out and sat with me at a table and let me talk, let me cry. They never made me feel judged. It was not a conversation of what is right or wrong. They asked one question that I can still hear it in my head. If I told you God would provide everything and no one else mattered, would that help? Yes. Okay. Walking into their facility in those final moments of life or death for my daughter. And they changed everything for me. Again, by making me feel like I had a choice and I could do it on my own. Because, let me change that. I could do it with God. When she was born, I could hear her crying, and honestly, I just said, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, I'm not ready. And they put the baby on her chest. And I remember catching her. And there's... Milliseconds. It's not just the seconds, it's the milliseconds where I open my eyes and I see my baby. For the first year of her life, I wrote her a letter every day for her to look back and see how much God carried us, how much God loves her, how much God loved me, how important it was for me to carry my faith. I want her to know that. If I could go back to Kaylin, who just found out she was pregnant and was terrified that this life that I built for myself was going to end, I would tell myself, good. <laughs> There's a better life, more than you could ever fathom. You're gonna have so much more. Ministries like the Caring Network help women feel loved. And in the end, what more could change a life? Well, Kaylin and her daughter Haley attend our Kesslinger campus right here at Chapel Street. Uh, Jeff and I met them uh, just about less than two weeks ago at a showing of our Christ the King uh, musical production. Um, as Kaylin told part of her story to Pastor Jeff, I leaned down and talked to Haley, asked her name. She told me, said, how old are you? She said, four. And then the next thing she said to me was, I do ballet. <laughs> and then she did a little spin for me. But we want to be part of more stories like Kaylin and Haley's story. We really do. We set a goal this uh, year to raise $250,000 to help with the, the launch of two new centers in our region for Caring Network. We are already at uh, somewhere over $220,000 uh, raised, so thank you very much for that. And if and when we exceed our goal, which I believe we will tonight, uh, the rest of that money will stay and serve the world or, or we'll go to Caring Network or ministries like that, just so you know. Uh, and in order to give to this, you need to make sure you write on your check, uh, serve the world, uh, because that, that way it will go to Caring Network, not our general fund. And if you use your phone or app, just go to the serve the world portion of the giving uh, portion of our website or the app, and you can do it that way. So thanks so much for your generosity. So we'd like to pray here before we continue our service. So you bow with me. Lord God, we thank you for Kaylin's story, her courage to tell her story. Thank you for Haley's life. And Lord, we want to be a part of more stories like that. We think you've invited us into that process with Caring Network. So thank you for so many who've already been generous toward uh, this ministry and uh, bless us now with, uh, with further opportunity uh, to give and express our desire uh, to see you bring about uh, new life and new stories of transformation. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
I love books. I may not love books as much as Patrick. Jeff loves books, but I do love books. And through the years, one of my favorite authors is a man named Frederick Buechner. I have other favorites too, you know, Tim Keller and Paul Tournier and some guy named Lewis. But I discovered <laughs> Buechner's writings uh, long ago at a time in my life when it just came, came, it was just important for me to read someone who could talk about faith uh, and the truths I had long believed in a sort of a fresh way a deeper way, and Buechner did that. My brother Joe is a pastor in Ohio, as many of you know. He also came to enjoy Buechner's books. So together we began, began to collect uh, the works of Frederick Buechner, and he's written 40 or so books, theology and sermons and fiction, all sorts of stuff. In particular, we began to collect first edition copies of the books that were our favorites, we thought, that we thought were his best books. Now, back in those days, there was no internet. There was no eBay, there was no Amazon, so we had to search the old-fashioned way, combing through uh, old, musty bookstores, wherever we could find, looking for sort of lost treasure, and some of these books have been out of print for some time. Um, I found a number of first edition copies. This is a selection of the ones I have. I think I brought 11 tonight, and I have more at home, um, and it was just fun to do. Uh, but there was one book I just couldn't find. It was the one I wanted the most. It was sort of a beautiful coffee table, big sort of book um, called The Faces of Jesus. And it was a book of artwork uh, collected through the centuries and from all over the world that told the story of Jesus. And Buechner wrote in his inimitable style, a poetic style, he wrote the story that connected all these pieces of art. Just a beautiful book, and I really wanted to find it, but I couldn't find it. Uh, and I looked all, all over the place, maybe a dozen old bookstores over a couple of years, couldn't find it. And then, the worst thing happened. Uh, my brother found a copy. <laughs> in an old bookstore, I think, in Cleveland at the time. And I was happy for him, you know. He's my brother, he was looking for the book. I was happy for him, but I was also envious and a little upset because I was the one who got him, got him into reading Frederick Beaker in the first place. But I had to keep on looking to find my own copy. A couple more years go by. Lots more searching, no luck. For all I knew, my brother had found the last existing copy of this book on the face of the planet a book I wanted so badly. And then a Christmas came, and we exchanged Christmas gifts the way we often do, and my brother gave me a copy of The Faces of Jesus. I was astonished. I couldn't believe it. How in the world did he find another copy of this book? I couldn't even find one copy. And then I realized he didn't find another copy. He gave me his copy, his only copy. And I still have it on my shelf today. I remember that story when I was thinking about the hymn that we are going to look at tonight. Throughout the Advent season, we've been looking at the great Christmas hymns or carols. And tonight we're going to look at O Holy Night that you heard played so beautifully moments ago. O Holy Night was written, as some of you may know, by a French poet. Uh, it was set to music by a Jewish composer and sung for the first time at a Christmas Eve midnight mass in 1847. But when it became known just a little while later that the author of the hymn uh, had left the Catholic Church and joined the French Socialist Movement, the song was actually banned in France for up to a decade. But people kept singing it because they loved the song, they loved the music, and eventually it made its way to America, was translated into English and published in 1857 by a man named John Sullivan Dwight. And you know the hymn, and let me read the words to you one more time. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. Christ is the Lord, O praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim. There's another verse in there, and it goes around and around, but those are the ones I'm going to focus on this evening. Probably my favorite Christmas hymn uh, of all time, and there are two lines in there that I want to focus on tonight. The first is, O holy night. Holy is the word we use often, we hear often uh, in the church. Uh, the holy is used 57 times in the Old Testament Hebrew and 232 times in the New Testament Greek. And everywhere it's used in the Bible, it means the same thing, to set apart something that's consecrated, dedicated, something that's holy has been set aside for a special purpose. So we say God is holy because there is only one almighty God who possesses all authority, all power, all glory, and all knowledge, and all love. So God is holy. The Bible is holy, we say, because the Bible is the only place where you can find God's word to us. Marriage is holy. Holy matrimony. Because it's a man and a woman set apart for each other by the covenant of marriage. The book my brother gave me years ago was holy in a sense because it was scarce. It might have been the only one for all we knew. It was unique and different and set apart. And in that same way, tonight is holy. Christmas Eve is different from all other nights, isn't it? For many reasons. First of all, because families come back together, often traveling great distances just to share this holy night together. How many of you have traveled from out of state to be here tonight with family? A lot of you. I saw that 100 million Americans are estimated to travel this Christmas season despite COVID. It's holy because of traditions. There are traditions we observe in our homes tonight that we only do once. Every year. At our house, it'll be eating Chinese food followed by chocolate fondue. <laughs> we have those things other times, but never together. But tonight, they're together. It's holy because of the gifts piled up under the tree. This is the only night that those brightly wrapped boxes under the tree will hold the magic and possibility of wishes and dreams fulfilled. By tomorrow at this time, the boxes and the bows and the wrapping paper will be out by the curb. And at least some of those gifts... Uh, tonight, under the tree, have been chosen, especially with great love, and chosen to be one-of-a-kind gifts, sort of holy gifts. So this is a holy night, just as that night long ago was also holy. The hymn writer says, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. The birth of Jesus was a gift. We learn from the Bible, a holy gift, a one-of-a-kind gift, a gift given out of great love and at great cost. The Apostle John writes famously, For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His one and only son. The child born that night was holy because of who he was, the son of God, and because of what he would do. John finishes his thought that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The writer says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It's a fundamental principle of economics that something, whether goods or services, is worth 
only whatever someone's willing to pay for it, or worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. A baseball card printed in 1909 at the cost of less than a penny, two weeks ago sold for $6 million. What is something worth? Here's my question. What is the worth of a human being? What is the soul of a human being worth? We live in a world where whole groups of people have been routinely and callously disregarded and discounted, treated as, as if they're worth nothing. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons we've chosen Caring Network this year for our ministry partner. The hymn tells us that because of this child's birth, the holy child's birth, the soul feels its worth. I wonder this evening if you've ever had a time in your life, or maybe now, when you've doubted your worth. Maybe your life hasn't gone as you once dreamed it would go. Maybe you've experienced failure or pain, discouragement. Maybe you feel insignificant or invisible in the world. Maybe you've experienced a, a crushing loss, and you wonder, do I even matter to God himself? Does he pay attention? Listen to 1 Peter. It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's what God was willing to pay for you, for your soul. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, you were bought at a price. You see, your worth, my worth, is not determined by how talented you are, by how smart you are, or by how successful you are, or by how pretty or handsome our culture tells you you are. No. Your worth is not determined by the color of your skin or the number of zeros in your bank account or how many likes you have on social media. No. Your worth is determined by the price someone was willing to pay for you, for your soul. And that price was paid in the blood of the child in the manger. John Piper, a pastor, writes rather, rather bluntly, the incarnation is the preparation of nerve endings for the nails that would be hammered into his hands and feet. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. So the birth of the holy child on this holy night tells you what you're worth. Therefore, the hymn writer says, A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The author writes of a weary world in 1847. The world Jesus was born into was also weary. Weary of Roman occupation, weary of taxes, weary of religious persecution, weary of waiting for the promise of a Messiah to come. And here we are, in 2021, almost 2022 now. With, a, with an affluence and a technology that people living in 1847 couldn't begin to imagine. And yet the world is still weary, is it not? Weary of a pandemic that seems like it will never end. Weary of politics. Weary of relentless bad news. Weary. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But he says, because this child, Christ, is coming to the world, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The thrill of hope, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The night is holy. This night is holy because on this night, 
a holy child was born, and on this night, all of human history split in two, and all creation rejoices with the thrill of home. Oh, holy night. The second phrase I want to mention is, fall on your knees. The verse goes, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. What does it mean to fall on our knees? Matthew tells us the story of the Magi. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Because that's what you do when you're in the presence of a king. And they believed the child was born to be king. To fall on our knees is to worship, is to honor is to acknowledge that we are in the presence of infinite beauty, infinite power, and infinite love. We fall on our knees before that which is holy and only before that which is holy. But what is it about this child, this king, that brings us to our knees? Frederick Buechner writes, The word become flesh. Ultimate mystery, born with a skull you could crush one-handed. Incarnation. It is not tame, it is not touching, it is not beautiful, it is uninhabitable terror. It is unthinkable darkness riven with unbearable light. Agonized laboring led to it vast upheavals of intergalactic space-time, split apart, a wrenching and tearing of the very sinews of reality itself. You can only cover your eyes and shudder before it, before this. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and our salvation came down from heaven. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. So here we are, Christmas Eve again. The tree, the gifts, the traditions are all in place, and it's so good. All of that's good. Can't wait to be home with family tonight. But this is the call of the hymn. Fall on your knees before the one who gives your soul infinite worth. Fall on your knees before the one who offers the thrill of hope to an empty and weary world. Fall on your knees overwhelmed with awe and wonder at the word become flesh. Fall on your knees and surrender to your king. And so, may we fall on our knees and proclaim the final verse of that great hymn. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim.